Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Podcast like it. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. I'm your host, Phil Liskov, and with us today is Carrie Corrigan, journalist working on a... She's a journalist working on a biography on Elaine May, associate editor at Brightwall Room. She's also written for Vanity Fair, Pitchfork, and PR. Um, thank you so much for being here, Carrie, to talk about Sex and City with us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> um, we're going to be talking about actually one of my favorite episodes of the second season today. We're going to be talking about episode 215, Shortcomings. Uh, but before we get to that, I want to rewind a little bit uh, and see where you were in 1999, Carrie, and, uh, and, and what sort of media you might have been consuming around then. Do you remember 99 fondly? Um, I remember 99 fondly. I was, <laughs> I don't want to give myself away. I was in the no, third grade. <laughs> sure. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So, I mean, the media I consumed then was still obviously, not obviously, um, strangely much older than I was and like kind of inappropriate for my age. Okay. Way. Um, like, I'd go to school and be like, my celebrity crush is Dick Van Dyke. <laughs> my favorite show was the Mary Tyler Moore show. People would be like, what are you talking about? I'm like, don't you watch Nick at Night? Um, so that's, I mean, one Did of Did you the- have a lot of friends in 1999, Carrie? Or- um- <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking about I me in third grade. No, I'm sure you did. I have no doubt you did. But I, I, I just, I mean, similar, I, I think somewhat similar to you, um, I was not drawn to childlike things i guess when i was in uh, i mean i guess spielberg that kind of stuff but for the most part um yeah i don't know i was watching stuff i probably shouldn't have been watching like a fish called wanda and when harry met sally when i was like you know nine years old so yeah a lot of like nick at night and then like disney channel original movies that's pretty much that was my media <laughs> diet in 1999 we just uh, i'm sure you saw on twitter i was talking about it but we just did uh, xenon uh, girl of the 21st century uh the other day i just recorded the episode oh, wow. who knows when it will air but uh that i'd never seen it before uh apparently like a real bearing wall for a lot of girls in in 1999 it seems yeah, um, I had just, my roommate and I watched it the other <laughs> night. Um, I had not seen it since probably sure. maybe a rerun in middle school. And I was like, I can't believe we like really latched onto this movie. I can't believe like this is what we yeah. thought 2020 or 2021 or something when it's set. 
like somewhere around now. Uh, tw- 2049 is when it's 2049. Actually said. Okay. Oh, oh, but they were like, oh, we went up into space like 20 years ago. And we're like, yeah. what? What? Yeah. No, there's, I mean, I've, I had a lot of questions for my guest uh, on that episode since she was a very big fan of it when she was a kid. She hadn't watched it in a while as well. So, yeah, it, it bears a lot of questions about why the space station is so futuristic and yet Earth is basically just driving around VW Beetles from 1999. So, yeah. <laughs> questions. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, I could imagine in grade three, you were not watching Sex and the City. So when did Sex and the City come into your life and, and did it have a profound effect on you in some way? It did. Um, I remember, so it came into my life probably around like seventh grade. Um, definitely like the last season, just as it was closing out. And there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of press coverage about it. I oh, remember. Yeah. And my parents, we had HBO and my parents would watch Sex and the City and The Sopranos. And I remember I would always kind of at night open up my door and like creep to the top of the stairs. And in my living room, we had this huge mirror on the side. So like you couldn't directly see the TV, but you could see the reflection of the TV. Mm -hmm. And I would kind of sit at the top of the stairs and watch until somebody noticed and would yell, this isn't appropriate for you. Go back to bed. Um, But I had an I have a cousin who is five years older than me. And like, she was the, I was like, she's the coolest. She's like the coolest girl around. And she watched sex in the city. Um, And I remember we went on a family camping trip um, summer of seventh grade. And my cousin Uh and I were like, this is not happening. We're not doing this. And we spent like the entire weekend in, um, in my dad's car watching on a portable dvd player episodes of sex in the city and my parents didn't know um she was like don't tell anybody that i'm letting you watch this uh and i felt like i was so grown up and so cool and then that summer i remember they started that's when like it went off the air and they started airing the reruns on on e E, and even still my mom was like that's not appropriate for you you're 13 years old and so I would watch in secret. Uh, I had a TV in my room and I would turn it way, way, way down and sit like five inches from the TV so I could hear it and watch these like watered down versions on each yeah. being like, I'm so cosmopolitan. I'm so grown up. I so do you remember when you, when you watched like the, the real versions of them? Like, and by that, I mean sort of like, when you were old enough or your parents had deemed you old enough to be able to watch. I mean, what's interesting is that you're tapping into something that, that, a, that a, a fair amount of our guests had, which was sort of that sex and city felt like contraband. It felt, it felt like something um, almost, I mean, scandalous or whatever the right word is for you to sort of see at a certain age. Now, I mean, the show is pretty tame, all things considered, Yeah. but, but it is interesting to, to think about, um, I guess what your parents were afraid of you seeing, if that makes sense. Do you know what I mean? Like, what is it about the show that felt so audacious, I guess, at the time? I mean, my parents were always, like, really overprotective of me because I'm the oldest of three Mm -hmm. sisters. So I remember, like, MTV was something that I couldn't really watch for a very Mm -hmm. long time. Um, I'd watch it at friends' houses. VH1 was kind of like, "Eh, we'll see. Um, I remember it was probably like, it was probably language and it was probably just like talking about sex. My parents were probably like, she's not old enough to really even understand what that means. But of course, I think probably a year later, I was home watching them, like watching on demand while they weren't like during the summer while they were at work. I was like, screw you guys. I'm going to watch this show. Did you feel like the show sort of had an effect on the way you went into dating, the way that you saw, you know, relationships, sort of uh, the perception of relationships to some degree? Um, I don't know if it if it really affected the way that I viewed dating, um, mm-hmm. maybe subconsciously, uh, sure. just because I came of age in, in a time of a lot of romantic comedies and just like inundated with with all of those sort of notions um, about what relationships look like and what romance Mm -hmm. looks like. And I probably just absorbed all of them. I think it more altered my perception of what it means to be um, like a modern woman and what it, 
I, I kind of had this idea of like, this is what it's like to be a grown up in a big city, which from the time I was like 11, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to move to New York. So I was like, oh, here is this picture of what I had in my head and it's confirming this reality for me. And I think that definitely shaped a lot of my life um, up well, until like my early 20s. And then I was like, this isn't real. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's interesting you say that because we talked a little bit um, on – we did a Patreon episode on When Harry Met Sally with Liz Hanna and your article from um, – from, uh, Oh my God, from Bright Wall, Dark Room came up. I actually quoted it because there's a really beautiful quote that you have in there about, you know, this this notion of New York, the the sort of the Nora Ephron version of New York. Um, and specifically when Harry met Sally, which, you know, Barry Sonnefeld's beautiful cinematography makes the city look, you know, as as we all imagine it to be in our dreams. But but I guess sort of, you know, when you look at Sally Albright versus or next to a Carrie Bradshaw to some degree. I mean, they're very different characters, they're very different women, um, but they both sort of in their own way have sort of idyllic perceptions of what a relationship is supposed to be and and, and I guess what New York is supposed to be as well to a certain degree. Um, you know, do, do you feel like, because it, it feels like you're not from New York originally, I'm assuming, it sounds like you moved to no. New York. Um, you know, did, did, did all those sort of, visions of New York and of relationships and what have you, I guess ultimately was disappointing. I mean, did, did the real world become disappointing in comparison to, to these things? Um, I don't know if it became disappointing mostly because I, at my heart, am a cynic. So I was kind of, I think I had an idea of like, I want this and this sure. is how my life should be. Right. Um, it wasn't disappointing so much as frustrating that, <laughs> yeah, sure. you know, it, what, I'm not there yet. I, I remember yeah. being in college, like at NYU and being like 21 years old and thinking like, why am I not living this right. sex in the city life? This when Harry met Sally life. And it took me a while to be like, you're not a real grown up yet. Like, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> Well, listen, at least you were grounded about it. I, I guess that the, the reason I bring this up is because it does feel like there have been numerous think pieces about Sex and the City and whether or not it was feminist or not, and whether or not this was, you know, was this uh, helpful to, to women to watch something like this and have these notions. Um, I think the show is a lot deeper than people perceive it. Um, I think that it's easy to dismiss this show based on aesthetics, based on, you know, any number of sort of preconceived notions of what, uh, you know, what rom-coms are supposed to be or not be or all that kind of stuff. I think that the show is, and and we'll talk about it in this episode in particular, because I feel like there's a lot of stuff going on in this episode that, that you could easily kind of just skirt past. Uh, but if you take a hard look at it, it really is trying to deal with some somewhat tricky and, you know, prickly issues, which I think the show does quite well. Do you feel like the show gets a fair shake? Um, I think it's become cool to dunk on it, yes. to be honest. I, I don't think, I think as time has gone by, I don't think it's really, yeah, I don't think it's gotten a fair shake um, in terms of criticism. It just seems, you know, hindsight is always kind of twenty twenty, and it's yeah. easy to look back at things that we once loved and think this wasn't all that good or this was more hype than it was substance but I think I don't know I mean Sex in the City is a show that I always return to and I return to it as comfort food but also because I just I think it is a highly quality I, I think it's a high quality show that is well crafted and I think it like you said it is a lot deeper than just the aesthetic and I I think there's a lot of worth to it. I mean, I agree. That's why I've dedicated over 20 hours to this miniseries <laughs> on it. But but I'll say, too, that, you know, uh, we now know that there's going to be a revival coming out sometime, perhaps by the end of this year. We'll see. Um, I don't know what Carrie and co minus Samantha looks like in a post-COVID, post-Me Too, post-all these things. Like, I just don't know that this show... Um, can handle that kind of a swing. We're going to find out. Uh, I mean, it, it, it's, it also feels like I would be disappointed if the last time I saw these characters was in the second sex in the city movie, which is an abomination in a lot of ways. So, you know, I, I'm kind of torn, but what are your thoughts on this before we get into the episode? Yeah. I mean, I feel like they really kind of fucked themselves over with <laughs> the movies. The first movie is, is, okay. how do you really feel Carrie? <laughs> 
<laughs> like, can I swear on this podcast? Absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, the first movie's okay. The second movie, an mm. abomination. Like you said, that kind of makes yeah. me hesitant to yeah. think, like, what is this? What is this revival going to look like? Um, most roast, I don't know. Most reboots kind of suck. Um, they just don't have the same charm as uh, as the original. Um, but at the same time, I don't know. I'm going to watch it. I'm curious. I'm, yeah. I'm curious to know what it will look like. But I'm also mm-hmm. curious to know where the people involved in this show see these characters at this sure. point in time and, yeah. and how they're living their lives right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm also just I'm you know I, I've discussed this a little bit with some other guests that we've had on, and and I think that the 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 choice or the not choice, the fact that Samantha's not on the show is a vacuum that could lead to interesting story if they choose to do that. Um, I'm not convinced they're going to choose to do that, but I think that if they if they if they come at it in a in an interesting way, um, you know, if this is a show about what it's like post fifty, maybe they're not all in their marriages still, or any number of things. Like there are ways to make this an interesting, um, you know, dissection of getting older and what it means to be, you know, a woman post 50 living in New York. I, I think that's an interesting thing. I, I don't, I don't know that that's going to be something they want to dive into, but it could be, we'll see. I hope so. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the Samantha thing is a different, is a difficult yeah. hurdle to get over, but I think yeah. I would personally love to see that kind of, um, that kind of viewpoint, I think. For sure. Um, but let's get into 215 uh, shortcomings where we do have Samantha uh, and a very interesting Samantha storyline on top of it all. Uh, so the synopsis of this episode is Carrie dates an author who has a premature ejaculation problem and finds that she regrets having to break up with his perfect family. Childphobic Miranda dates a divorced father who has a son. Charlotte's brother Wesley stays with her after his wife leaves him. And Samantha gives Charlotte's brother what he really needs, sex. Shortcomings aired on September 5th, 1999. It was written by Terry Minsky, directed by Dan Algrant. Uh, Vulture put it at, at number 74 of 96, which I think is a little bit harsh. Um, they, they they basically kind of say that the that the episode doesn't isn't as meaty as previous episodes. I don't think they're giving this episode as much credit as I think it, it rightly deserves. Um, but I want to come at it sort of storyline by storyline, and, and we'll leave Carrie to last since, you know, uh, it's it's probably the most substantial storyline of of the of the four. Um, it's also an opportunity where Charlotte and Samantha's storylines actually dovetail, which doesn't happen all that often. We're essentially there in the same storyline together, which is an interesting choice. Um, let's start with that one, just uh, because I think there's some really interesting stuff going on in it. Essentially, Charlotte has a brother who knew uh, we never hear from him again, uh, but he exists and she says she's very close with him, which is also (laughs) ironic. Um, But yeah, so Wesley kind of pops up. Um, The actor was fine. I I think there's a reason possibly why Wesley didn't come back. It it might have to do with um, with the actor who portrayed him, but um, essentially he comes into the story. He's been married to this woman named Leslie. There are some Wesley Leslie jokes that are, fine um but uh ultimately uh his marriage is is on the rocks or it's it's falling apart he's getting divorced and uh yeah and essentially what happens is charlotte invites him out to drinks with carrie but it seems like she only wanted it to be carrie and when samantha is there charlotte (laughs) literally says oh shit it's a very, I mean, what, what were your thoughts on this story? Like, cause it feels to me like there's some very kind of not subtle kind of digs at the way Charlotte perceives Samantha. Oh, she's not subtle at all. I mean, I remember kind of rewatching this when she takes Carrie aside, like very blatantly and is like, why did you bring her? Yeah. It's just like, oh my God. I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, it, you don't do that. Just like <laughs> deal with it. Maybe like talk yeah. to her after <laughs> and be like, I didn't appreciate that you brought our friend. That's the thing too. It's yeah. like he's also your friend. Why are you? I, I you're yeah. upset that your friend is meeting your brother. Um, but yeah, I think what you said it. It's very obvious how mm-hmm. she views Samantha, and it's I don't know. That's one of the things that like has always kind of rubbed me the wrong way about Charlotte. Mm-hmm. all those little quirks sort of play out in this episode, I think. 
Yeah, they really, um, they really, I don't want to say they throw Charlotte under the bus, but they do definitely put her under a microscope in a way in this episode that is not flattering. Um, you know, very sort of, um, you know, just, uh, very prim and proper has real issues with the fact that Samantha has as much casual sex as she does, you know, when, so basically what happens is Samantha shows up, Samantha suggests that Wesley uh, and them all go to a jazz club. Charlotte balks at that. Then Samantha and Wesley, I guess, go to this jazz club by themselves. The next morning, Charlotte wakes up, finds Samantha in her kitchen and, uh, and proceeds to kind of yell at her about fucking her brother. <laughs> oh yeah, she's um she's aggressively sh- slut shamey. Mm-hmm. That's what bothers me. Like yes, yes, she uh, she's I don't know. It's your friend again. Like I get back to that where it's like, yep. I get making jokes about friends' sex lives. Um, I get kind of like making fun of certain relationships that they're in i've certainly have done it before um but i think it's different when it's coming from a very yeah a very um shaming sort of perspective and i I think she wants this idea that she wants samantha to feel badly about what she has done is Mm -hmm. and she does so in a way that's really mean and it's hurtful um it's also it's a bad a joke lot. too. She says, yeah. "Is your is your vagina in the New York City guidebooks as the hottest spot in town because it's always open?" <laughs> it's like, first of all, it's a long walk to get there, and it's it's just yeah, it's not a great joke, but it's also it is hurtful. Um, they round the edges off of the story very quickly, where she just brings her muffins at the end, and Carrie does have a funny VO where she says. Um, Samantha was touched. This was Charlotte's way of saying thank you for fucking my brother, which, which I, because the Wesley and Charlotte have a conversation where Wesley's like, you don't understand. I haven't had sex with my wife in two years. I mean, um, this, you know, it's, it's, he's thankful for getting to have this night with Samantha. However, he then says something. He says, that's Samantha. You really have a good friend there is gross. Oh God. Because like guess, Wes, it's like Wesley, what are you doing, man? But anyway, yeah, like I don't want to talk about your sex life, my brother. Like I don't want to talk about it with you, and I don't want to talk about my friend's sex life with my brother. So I don't really want to talk about the time that you two had. Like it's just a it's yep, a convergence yep. of like no, thank you. It's a convergence of a lot of things. It's also like um, it it feels very sort of uh, I don't know. There's there's a there's a misogynistic component to the way he says it that I don't like. Like there's just a lot baked into this storyline that it is a testament to uh, Kristen Davis and, and uh, Kim Cattrall that they're able to navigate these waters and not make it seem really repellent specifically to Charlotte, but still like just in general, it's a high wire act, this show of finding the humor, but also finding the the nuance and the, 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 um, you know, the, the depth, the character depth in it, but um, they do a pretty good job, all things considered. But this is definitely one of those episodes where I'm like, I don't really like Charlotte in this situation. And Samantha feels like she's being slut shamed, which is just not cool. Yeah. 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 It's um, thinking about it. I'm kind of like, Oh, like half <laughs> the characters in this episode. It's, it's one of those episodes that I think, I think it really puts it on, puts on display. This, this, yeah. I think it really (laughs) puts the show's strength of um, showing these women at their most unlikable moments on display. Mm -hmm. Um, I think, yeah, even though I I hate Charlotte in this episode, I think it's worth something that they're showing this character be kind of a bitch. Like, just not likable. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't think that was really done that much back then. Oh, I, I I absolutely agree. I think that Charlotte's arc throughout the series is is one of the more satisfying arcs, and seeing her sort of her growth and her ability to be able to sort of break through her preconceived notions of what she thinks a relationship's supposed to be like. I mean, I I I I really like the Trey stuff because it basically throws in her face everything that she thinks she's supposed to want. Um, so this feels like it teased that up in an interesting way. I mean, we're near the end of season two at this point, top of season three or near the beginning of season three, she meets Trey. So it does all start to feel part and parcel of this, um, 
of this sort of very kind of idyllic, you know, fanciful world that she thinks she's going to have with the man of her dreams. So th- I think this this plays into that. But um, the other storyline, um, there's two other storylines, but the other one is Miranda's storyline where she, um, well, it should also be said that the theme of this episode is about um, how many people get emotionally involved in the relationships that you're in. Like this idea of like whether you're screwing the family as well as the person. Um, so that, folds into obviously folds into the the charlotte brother storyline but it folds into this one where miranda meets a single dad at the gym in the elevator um he's got a son uh they have a meet cute in the elevator they go out on a date where it seems like they're walking in the park um there's an amazing just priceless cynthia nixon moment where the kid (laughs) smacks the back of her head with a stick and the way Cynthia Nixon just goes "ow" is just so perfectly timed. With the, it's just it's 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 real great physical humor. Um, Cynthia Nixon can do no wrong on this show, even if sometimes they don't give her the most interesting storylines. Um, I kind of liked this one, though. What were your thoughts on the storyline? Yeah, um, I think my perspective on this one has definitely changed since I've seen it. Um, or since I saw it for the first time and like I've seen it repeatedly over the years. Cause I mean, I remember when I first watched this show, I really did not like Miranda. Like interesting. I, every time I watched it, I was like, Miranda's a dick. Um, <laughs> and, and now like at this age, I'm like, Oh no, I think I am Miranda. <laughs> um, watching it now, she's so good in it. And in this episode, and I think, I don't know. I like this storyline. I think it's also kind of like it, it sort of brings out the like, the, just like the weird shit that happens when you date where you're like, mm-hmm. the guy with the kid, it's like the most logical thing would be you get a babysitter. Your kid does not meet this woman again until like you've been yeah. dating for a significant amount of time, especially if you've been divorced. Like, why would you? Yeah. introduce him to another person who's probably like not going to be in his life for more than a couple of weeks. Um, but the way that she sort of tries to like suck it up, um, yep. that to me is like, that's dating in New York. <laughs> like, it's like, Oh, I like yeah. this guy. We're going on a date in central park. Okay. That's like two things. Great. Great. Um, <laughs> sounds cute. And then it's the, like, the other shoe dropping. He has a kid and he's bringing his kid with him kind of thing where it's like. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com slash achieve today. I I think when you're like a woman of a certain age in New York, you're kind of like, well, maybe this is as good as it's going to (laughs) get. I will go on this date. There's something also great about the way it's directed because you think it's just the two of them and it's really not until the stick comes into frame yeah. and smacks her in the back of the head that you realize the kid's still the, the kid's with them. Um, and then the kid gives her like a worm. Like it's 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 played pretty broadly, but they have a nice scene on the park bench together where he talks about how he's not really a dating person and that he really wants to be married. Uh, I will, I, I do, it begs the question as to why his marriage didn't work, but I guess we just don't need to ask that question. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, it, it is interesting to sort of, to, to see how, uh, how Miranda approaches this idea of a divorced man with a kid, like that there's baggage and, and 
whether or not she can see herself in a relationship like that, which apparently she claims she can. They have sex. The next morning, she goes to the bathroom. The kid tries to come into the bathroom and she slams the door shut in the kid's face. Um, and then Roger, the guy sort of, I would I would argue, abruptly kind of turns on her and is like, why don't you just leave? I understand that this show has to round off stories and that these are just the way that things go. Like, this guy's not going to have an arc, so he needs to overreact to this thing. But it did feel a little abrupt. I don't know if you felt the same way. Yeah, no, definitely. I was like, I, I don't know. I was like, I get being an overprotective parent and I get <laughs> yeah, yeah. like... Uh, I don't know, but it, at the same time, yeah, like you said, it's kind of like, is that the appropriate reaction? I don't think so. Um, I will say, rewatching this episode for um, to like kind of catch up for this yeah. episode or for this podcast, I was like, oh, it's interesting how completely and like completely absent of any kind of like maternal instinct she is. Miranda is. Yes, right yes. She's not maternal at all. Um, kind of like hostile towards, not kind of, she's openly hostile towards all of the uh-huh. children in the episode. Uh, and then like, what, two seasons later, three seasons later, she has a kid. Yeah, two seasons. And I know that like, I mean, the storyline with that was a lot of like, I don't know if I want to and then. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, what if I can't ever? But it's mm-hmm. interesting that she becomes, she kind of grows into that maternal instinct later. Um, but it's interesting to see that here and kind of be like, oh. I didn't see that future for you. Yeah, I mean, I think that the that the show does a really great job of knowing what the characters' weaknesses are and forcing them to look those straight in the eye and to kind of come mm-hmm. at each of their characters and get. I mean, other than Carrie, we could have that discussion, but like, it does feel like um, the three other characters get to be challenged. Carrie doesn't get to be challenged as much uh, because she's the lead character and. Uh, you know, having been on shows, I get that like the lead character has to be protected in a way that the supporting characters don't necessarily need to be. So I get it. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like one of my favorite things is Miranda, her whole pregnancy storyline, all that stuff is great. But um, so the last storyline is Carrie's storyline. Um, she is dating a guy named Vaughn, played by Justin Thoreau, in his second appearance on Sex and the City, strangely. <laughs> Uh, he played some kind of a one-off character in, in the first season, and I guess they liked him enough that they wanted to bring him back. Uh, he's great in this. Um, I, I like Justin Thoreau as an actor in general, so this is it wasn't a surprise to me that I still like this performance. Um, he's also a novelist, uh, a short story writer, which plays into a joke coming up. But um, it's... So, essentially, she's dating this guy, Vaughn, uh, he needs to drop off a bag of books or something at his parents' place, which, as a Canadian, I, I was happy to see that it was a Roots bag. Um, but that's just that's just me being whatever. Uh, so um, Vaughn in, it basically invites her to come in, so she has to meet his family as well. Um, his family is the greatest family that's ever been. Like, who doesn't want to be adopted by this family? <laughs> I know. I know. It's, it's crazy. Um, I also want to live in their house, too. They have this, like, unbelievable, oh you know, brownstone. <laughs> it's my dream New York apartment. <laughs> it's perfect. It's unbelievable. Um, so his mother is played by Valerie Harper, you know, everyone's favorite, you know, Rhoda Morgenstern's a perfect TV character performance. I mean, untouchable. Um, she's such an icon, and she's so, like, I would argue that this role might not have worked in someone else's hands. I don't know what you think. Oh, definitely. Definitely. She's just, she's perfect in it. And I, uh, we can get into it, like the, the yeah. storyline, but yeah. So basically, uh, Carrie's introduced to Valerie Harper, whose name is Wallace, of course. All the names are also perfect. Like her name is Wallace. His name is Vaughn. <laughs> Franny and Zoe are his sisters. <laughs> like it's, it's, you know, everything's just kind of perfect. Um, and uh, so Carrie's introduced to, to Wallace, who's making a documentary on genital mutilation. Um, and uh, <laughs> which is, I mean, whatever. But uh, it's, it's, it's a lot. And then the dad is, uh, is a professor at Columbia who invites Carrie to a Q&A, I guess, that Thursday to be a guest at Columbia. 
Um, it's all kind of this perfect situation. But uh, there's a great line where um, <laughs> where Carrie finds out about this documentary on general mutilation. And Wallace turns to Vaughn and says, I still haven't got your notes. And he says, Mom, I told you I can't bring myself to look at that fucking thing. Which is... <laughs> It's a great joke, but it's also, it really plays into sort of Justin Thoreau's very curt comedic timing. Totally. Uh, um, yeah, so essentially what basically happens is Vaughn has uh, an issue with premature ejaculation. Um, and Carrie doesn't really know how to deal with it. Uh, she brings it up to Samantha. Samantha has no patience for it whatsoever and is like, fucking dump him. Like, it's never going to work. <laughs> Um, and then Carrie starts to become very good friends with Wallace, his mother. They go to lunch. They have a real kinship. Um, and this comes back to sort of my, my initial question too, which is this stuff, this relationship between Carrie and Wallace in a lesser actor's hands, I just don't think it would work at all. Like, I think it, it would come across as, as weird. It would come across as sort of uh, just odd but it's Valerie Harper. So, of course, you're like, yeah, I, I want to be friends with Valerie Harper, too. Oh, totally. And I think she brings her Valerie Harperness to yes, this. Yes. She, she just, like, you automatically believe that she is this um, incredibly fascinating uh, platonic ideal of a new, an older New York intellectual woman <laughs> who's, like, seen it all, done it all, knows everything, has a million great stories, and... I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know how anyone could look at it and not think like, I want to be at lunch with Valerie Harper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, though, I, I it, it's it's interesting, too. And, and, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on for this specific episode is the When Harry Met Sally component, too. But now that I hear that you're also a fan of of Mary Tyler Moore and just sort of the the, the New York female intellectual who, I mean, who would not want to be adopted by this family? Who would not want to be hanging out with Valerie Harper? But but I do sort of want to kind of, it feels like a commentary in and of itself. By casting her, you're also sort of, I mean, I know that Mary Tyler Moore took place in Minnesota. I don't know where it took place. My apologies. Where does it take Minneapolis. place? Minneapolis. Minneapolis, okay. Um, but there is that sort of, like, Rhoda Morgenstern feels like this I don't know, this perfectly kind of what what every woman would perhaps strive to be at that time. So Carrie then becoming the thing that women are striving to be, having lunch with a person. Like it's, it feels like these two icons having lunch together. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I didn't think about it like that until you said it, but um, that definitely makes sense. I mean, the way I always, especially as I've gotten older, um, the way I viewed this episode is that um, – we never really see Carrie have any mentors. Um, she doesn't talk about her family very often. Uh, and I can see why she would be just enthralled by them um, and why she would want to befriend Wallace and why she would kind of want to be taken under her wing in a way. I mean, I've absolutely have been there. Um, I think New York is a kind of city where like, it's a lot of the show, the show centers, uh, the show centers a lot on found family. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very, um, a very metropolitan thing, I guess, because everyone comes here from other places and it feels like sometimes you are a ragtag group of orphans <laughs> in a sure, way. Sure, sure. Um, at yeah. least I do, uh, my friends and I, and, and so sometimes I think it's, it's nice to, um, be seen by somebody who is older and kind of ask them for advice or mm -hmm. just kind of get to know them and, and their experience and sort of learn from what they know. Um, not just like directly saying like, teach me, but um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I think there is that aspect that I can see why she, she's just like in love with his family because how could you not? And I think, yeah, I think sometimes in this city it gets very lonely and you want you sure. want to surround yourself with family. And that's not just sort of like friends who are like sisters, but that includes maternal figures and paternal figures yeah. uh, as well. 
Yeah, I mean, it's interesting you bring up the um, the mentorship component because, I mean, I would say that the closest thing really isn't until season five, I think, when uh, Candace Bergen comes into the show and right. Vogue, another titan of industry, <laughs> another icon. Um, but again, they they don't really have that. This this feels like a mother daughter relationship. The the Carrie and and uh, and and Candace Bergen doesn't feel that way, uh, despite the fact that they get closer as the show progresses. It does feel very sort of professional, uh, mm-hmm. for the most part. This feels very much like the mother she never had, and that really comes back to sort of what I was saying at the very beginning, which is there's a there's a real depth here of. Um, what Carrie feels like she doesn't have in her life, what she longs for in her life. Um, she doesn't have much of a family. I mean, we'll talk about the VO at the end, which is about found family to some degree or another. But I do think that, um, you know, this this all kind of leads to <laughs> Carrie and Vaughn continue to keep trying to have sex unsuccessfully. Uh, it, it does It does get to a place where it's like, <laughs> it's a bit ridiculous. Yeah, it's like, like why it's, are you crying? Like, like, why you know are you even trying? <laughs> well, and it's even like the second time she like barely touches him and he ejaculates. Like it gets to a place oh, where you're just like it's it's excruciating. It's, a, it's, excruciating. Okay. it's just pretty terrible. Um, so, but all of this is a long way of saying that it, it she tries to broach the subject with him, and he won't have it, and he gets very defensive and he says, "I've been talking about sex since I was two years old," which. I think is a really interesting commentary on the idea of sometimes you can talk about sex too much. Like sometimes you can be in a relationship with somebody, perhaps a mother son relationship where you shouldn't be talking about sex as much as you, you you might create (laughs) a problem that way. Um, So I do think that that's an interesting commentary on the show as well, which is that there are lines and you know, you have to sort of figure out your ways to navigate them. But he doesn't want to talk about it. They go for lunch at at his family's place. Uh, He's acting like a petulant child having a tantrum. And Carrie decides to excuse herself. And we have a scene that I, that as a writer, I was thinking to myself, how do you even write this scene? Where essentially Carrie has to break up with his mom. and, And essentially Wallace is trying to, salvage this relationship between Carrie and her son. Um, Wallace sort of says, you know, why are you leaving? What's wrong? And Carrie says, well, things aren't going so well. And then Wallace says, quote, okay, his last girlfriend wasn't as discreet. I won't get into the irony of him writing short stories, which, <laughs> which is a great joke. But again, like in both of them are killing this scene. I think that if you don't have Sarah Jessica Parker and Valerie Harper in this scene, this scene is DOA. Like I just, it would be creepy. It would be weird and it wouldn't play for jokes and it wouldn't have that, that sort of nuance to it. But do you have, what are your thoughts on this scene? Yeah, I think um, you can really tell. I think you, it feels, it feels painful um, in a way. And I think you can see uh, it's heartbreaking kind of to see both of these women, um, really, really wanting to be in each other's lives and, and then just like trying to figure out a way to sort of say that without saying it. Um, and they're doing it through like the third person. They're like the one who's connecting them. And yeah, it's definitely, it it all depends on their performances and, and just who they are as people. Like I just, I truly believe that they would both want to be connected and, I don't know. I think it brings up, I think it it does bring up a good point. I think Valerie Harper's character brings up something about like um, getting back at the the title of shortcomings. Like you have this, you have this, you have th- like all these great things. Surely they outweigh this one thing that's like kind of shitty. Like, yep. you know, she says something like, you know, how many, something like 70% of marriages are sexless which is depressing which is depressing um but I I do get her sort of take as an older woman of like Mm -hmm. showing her the reality of like bargaining in your life um you know you break up with this guy who yeah has a lot of faults but look at all the great things are you gonna encounter that down the line probably not maybe not who knows it's it's sad to watch. 
it's really sad to watch. It's it's also um it's it's interesting that that she first of all she kind of gets into a bartering situation where she's <laughs> kind of like trying to salvage this thing. But then she also says, you know, you're not going to meet someone who has a mom like me. Yeah. <laughs> which is which is which is uh, true. I mean, no one is Valerie Harper and you're probably not going <laughs> to find that person. But it's, you know, she she says we have something really special. And again, like she delivers it in a way that is heartbreaking. And you're just, I, as I was watching the scene today, I was like, I had two sort of this push and pull in my head of like the writer in me, the TV writer in me says like, she has to be done. Like the reason that this works, the reason that this scene has power is because you're never going to see Valerie Harper again. But then the fan of me is like, couldn't you bring her back for one more episode? Like, it doesn't yeah. need to be in, like, we don't need Justin Thoreau's character. Like, can't, isn't there a way to, so that we know that they stayed friends. But then the heartbreaking yeah. part is, you know, they don't stay friends and that they never talk to each other again. It's really kind of sad. It makes me so sad. I I, I mean, <laughs> personally, just because I, I love the older women in my life. I love the mentors that I have in my life. And I feel like, if there were some reason why we couldn't stay friends, I would be heartbroken. Well, yeah. And I, but I also see, <clears throat> I see that perspective. And then I see Wallace's perspective where it's, yes, she has daughters, but I think being an older woman, especially an older woman in New York, a city that values youth, it's, it's such a thing to be, it's such a great rare thing to be seen and appreciated by somebody younger than you. Um, and, and saying, and having somebody else who like has no reason to want to be your friend, um, be nice to you, care for you. Like she's not your daughter. She's not your niece. Um, she's not a student, but somebody who says, I like you. And I think you have worth and I want to listen to what you have to say. I think that's something that as you get older, you don't hear that often. And it's really nice to hear. And so it's heartbreaking to me to know that neither one of the, neither one of those people get that payoff in the end. They don't get the like mentoring or the like doing the mentoring. I don't know what the right word is. No. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it, it, it's a really touching um, relationship that the show doesn't, to your point, really go back to, um, ever again in the same way. Um, it's, I think about how atypical this relationship is to this show is sort of, that. that's the thing that makes it stand out, right? Where it's like, yeah. I think about because of Charlotte and Samantha's storylines getting to be in the same storyline, it frees up the real estate for you be, to be able to have a scene where Carrie just has lunch with Valerie Harper, which is just not a scene that, would exist in the show. It would be the boyfriend storyline or the whatever storyline. So there's a there's there's a part of me that's like all of the planets kind of aligning for this relationship to exist, um, but only briefly. Is it's 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 very sad. I'm surprised how powerful it is under the circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, basically, what happens is uh, Carrie realizes that she has to break up with Wallace. They hug. Um, they say goodbye to each other. Um, and Carrie kind of, you know, does a, does a classic walk down New York with a VO where she talks about the family you're born into, the one that you date and the one that you make for yourself as she, um, goes and sits down with, uh, Miranda and Charlotte and Samantha to talk about what I imagine is more premature ejaculation, but it's, it's, uh, I mean, who knows, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of those episodes that, and it's why I was I was actually quite surprised that Vulture was as hard on it as they were, putting it as low on the list as they did, because it does feel like in a season that that has its ups and downs, the show is still finding its sea legs, still figuring out its voice, um, figuring out how to sort of uh, introduce long arc boyfriend Steve is introduced in this season. But this is all just a long way of saying that I think this episode is sort of the best of of the one-off boyfriends, the idea of, you know, just having a boyfriend for an episode. I think that Justin Thoreau stands out because of this Valerie Harper stuff, because of all of this. And also because Justin Thoreau is very funny and, and good in the role. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised that, that, that they didn't, uh, that they didn't think more highly of it, but you know, I guess that's what it is. Um, 
I've been asking all of my guests who their favorite character on the show is uh, and why. And uh, it's now your turn to tell me who that might very well be. Um, <laughs> see, it changes a lot. Um, sure. But I think well, today, Ryder dies as Carrie Bradshaw. I mean, really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. I love I love an, an unlikable protagonist. Um, <laughs> what does that say about you, Carrie? No, I think it's it's just it's real. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. Like, whenever I see people talk about how awful Carrie was, I'm like, that's like the not point. admitting that you are awful too. We are all <laughs> capable of being sure. dicks to our friends, absolutely yeah. shitty girlfriends, bad at our jobs. Like, we all have moments where we are not at all our best. And I think, um, I think Carrie exemplifies all of them, but I also. I don't think, I don't know. She's somebody that I've always thought like has a heart of gold, which is a cliche to say, but um, I've always kind of thought she was like the best sort of blend of all of the characters, like the, in a way, like she's not, I don't know. She's, she's just to me, like I revert to being a 13 year old girl again, where I'm like, this is the smart writer in New York, fashionable, cool has great friends um sure just that it's just i it's a it's such a nostalgia thing for me i mean i went to school in like eighth grade wearing a pink bedazzled shirt that said i'm a carry on it that my aunt got me for my birthday and my parents were horrified i'm forever that like 14 year old girl God, I wish there was photographic I, evidence of that because you'd have to post that. Oh, on I really do. I really, I wish there was too. I had a lot of bedazzled, glittery graphic sure. tees in, in 2004 and that sure. was one of them. And it's, I don't know, it's, I just think she's such a well-written character and, and so complex and I love well, her even when she's not lovable. It's, it's interesting you bring that up and, and, you know, I've brought this up on a couple of podcasts. The first episode that that I did, I had the pleasure of talking to Emily Nussbaum um, from The New Yorker about the show. Um, and she wrote this amazing piece called Difficult Women that I think was back in two, 2013. Um, and, and what she sort of did so brilliantly in that, in that uh, article was talk about Carrie Bradshaw as anti-hero. Carrie Bradshaw as sort of this character, you know, it, it's... I don't think it's a coincidence that Tony Soprano and Carrie Bradshaw both come into our television landscapes at a, you know, around the same time. Um, they're both sort of trying to break, you know, outside, break the mold, break outside what we think a TV character is supposed to be or not supposed to be. Um, the reason I bring this up is because I feel like this show and specifically Carrie sort of shatter preconceived notions of romantic comedies and, and, and what, what, what a female protagonist is allowed and not allowed to do. Uh, the answer being they should be allowed to do whatever they want. But I, I, I come back to sort of what you're saying about about that younger version of yourself looking at her as as this trailblazer. I mean, she really is sort of this character that we had never seen before. Um, and it's and it's understandable why, as we look through everything now through through the lens of pandemic and Trump and a number of other fucking things, why. Carrie might not hold up under that microscope because we've changed, we've evolved, and this was written 20 years ago. So it's what it is. But um, we really shouldn't look past how groundbreaking she was as a character. Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I think when people kind of talk about like where she would be now or what she would be doing now and like... I don't know. I see things that are like, oh, she'd be such an insufferable like white feminist. Um, she'd like post a black square on Instagram and say she was doing something. But I think even if that were the case, I don't think so. But even if that were the case, I don't know what's wrong with that because that's what a lot of women are like. A lot of women <laughs> fuck up and aren't always good people. Um, I, I don't think... Yeah, I don't think that Carrie is inherently a bad person, but I like you said I think she broke the mold in in being someone who wasn't always a good person and I think it was really important to show women that you don't always have to be a good person and you're not always like you're just not accept it. I I couldn't agree with you more and and 
you know, the, the shows that I love are the shows where characters are allowed to be messy. They're allowed to be broken. Um, I think the best shows are about breaking a person into a million pieces and then spending the course of the series, putting them back together again. And then hopefully by the end of it, they're a better person and they walk off into the sunset. But I, I think it's interesting what you're saying about sort of that, um, that, that messiness that, that she's allowed to have, that she's allowed to make mistakes. I mean, I remember reading about how Michael Patrick King talked about how scared they were to do the cheating storyline in season three, where she cheats on, on Aiden with big and, you know, I think you have to do that storyline for for a myriad of reasons, not just for story purposes, but for character. I mean, to your point, we have to see Carrie fuck up. We have to see her make bad choices, even though I imagine there were a bunch of people that were for her cheating on Aiden with Big, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I just think that I think you understand what I'm saying, right? That that she yeah. needs to sort of make these mistakes. And 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 all the characters are allowed to make mistakes on the show, which I think is why the show holds up quite well. Yeah, and I think the important thing too is, especially with that one, it's not just like making mistakes where you are the only one affected. She hurts people, yeah. um, and we hurt people, and we have to see how she makes up for that and how she makes amends. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's it's really important to show that sort of messiness. That's it's not just a flat like, oh, she kind of fucks up her own life. It's like she fucks up other people's lives too, and and that's unfortunately a realistic thing we don't live our lives in a vacuum it's also and and this is the last thing i say about this but i do think that um it's also a rarity on television that your protagonist is allowed to um fuck up other people's lives not to put too fine a point on it i mean most of the time your protagonist is uh is someone you're rooting for um so for carrie to make these choices uh, and to be, and I hate to even use the term unlikable when talking about a female tr- protagonist because it's such a fucking terrible thing at this point. Like, <laughs> but, but I do think that there is something inherently unlikable about the choices that she's making, and it's bold to do that. And I think that it's important to do that. Gender politics aside, I think it's just important for characters to be able to to make mistakes. Otherwise, it's hard for you to see yourself on the screen if they're perfect all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So. Exactly. Thank you for being here, Carrie, and talking about Sex and the City with us. I hope with me particularly, but but honestly, uh, you know, a big fan of 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 your Twitter feed, big fan <laughs> of your writing, uh, and uh, you know, I, I I can't honestly, people should should read your piece on Harry Met Sally. It's one of my favorite pieces that I've read on on that movie. So I appreciate. Thank that. you. Of course, yeah, of thank course. Thank you. Um. So uh, yeah. So thank you. Thank you for having me. This was of course, great. of course. One last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe. Uh, speaking of subscribing, check out our Patreon on all the best films of 1989, Batman, When Harry Met Sally, Fabulous Baker Boys, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Ghostbusters 2, Field of Dreams, Major League, and many, many more. We are covering all the best films of 1989 with amazing guests like Joanna Robinson, Liz Hanna, Hunter Covington, Brian Cogman, David Iserson, and many, many more. All your favorite guests from our 1999 podcast are coming on to the 1989 Patreon. You can sign up for it at patreon.com backslash podcast like it's 1989. For only $5, you get access to all of these awesome episodes. And for a few bucks more, you get video of our 1999 episodes as well. Plus, there are other very cool tiers too, where you can even be a guest on our podcast. Also, please check out our Reddit as well at reddit.com backslash podcast like it's. We're also on Twitter at podcast like it's. We're also on Instagram at podcast like it's. Thank you to Ernie and Will for producing our episode, Sullivan for our social media, Yonkatas for our artwork and theme songs. And most of all, thank you all for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.